Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place on the internet to follow the world of men's professional volleyball. My name is Dan, and today we're going to talk about VNL Round 1. Most of the audio I'm using today actually comes from my YouTube video recap, which I am posting on my YouTube channel. Hopefully, there's been some issues with uploading it, but hopefully we'll get it out before Round 2 starts. But if not, enjoy the audio version. I know some of you like this more. Some of you guys like the video version more. Either way, the audio version will have a couple extra snippets, a little more information for you guys, just because it's a little easier to uh, produce an audio podcast rather than a video one where I'm editing it, adding stuff, adding footage. Anyway, hope you guys enjoy the podcast and hope you guys have been enjoying Nations League as much as I have because... Man, it's good to have international volleyball back. Okay, guys, so in this segment exclusive to the podcast version, at least for this week, I'm going to give you one thought on each of the 16 teams in Nations League. I don't promise they're going to be deep. I don't promise they're going to be anything... uh, revolutionary but i think every team in the tournament has at least one interesting storyline per week so let's try and do that i'll go in reverse order of standings starting with argentina who i actually watched a lot of during this round because they were in the same pool as canada in the usa so i'm assuming quite a few of you guys watched them as well and honestly i thought they would be quite a bit better considering they had the majority of their starting lineup and who disappointed me the most on Argentina was their wings. And I think, unfortunately, Jan Martinez, who has been getting a lot of hype as a prospect, um, was a part of Argentina's very good youth national teams that did quite well at underage competitions. Honestly, not sure if he's the answer at outside hitter. Um, probably a little bit miscast. He, he's in a really weird borderline between outside hitter and libero. And as I said... With Ron Takahashi, if you want to be an outside hitter that's undersized, obviously you need the ball skills, you need the passing defense, but honestly, you also need a really strong serve. And I, I feel like Jan Martinez does not have that. And honestly, <laughs> Facundo Conte was not that good uh, good this week as well. So Jan Martinez might not be the future at outside hitter for Argentina. And honestly, their wings looked quite weak during round one. Next up is Australia, another team that did not win a game. Uh, They were at the end of my ranking, so not that surprising. But one of the things I mentioned in my preview podcast or or video, if you guys listen to that, is that, you know, maybe there's there's some prospects in Australian in their youth development system that's, you know, hasn't had the opportunity to play pro or really play on the international stage because Australia has been so limited uh, with who they're able to send to professional leagues and just getting out of the country. Unfortunately, you know, I didn't really see that this first week. No, no one really uh, came out of the gate and, and blew me away. So the odds of someone, some young prospect from Australia coming out and really impressing, especially they really need that uh, on the wing positions, don't think that's going to happen. And unfortunately, I mean, Australia is lucky that, that, uh, that they're not going to get relegated this year. But for me, overall, they were easily the, the weakest team in the tournament. I would say even below my next team which is Italy who obviously sending their youngest lineup 
um, which we didn't really consider. Uh, I didn't think they would send it because, you know, <laughs> they're hosting the tournament. Still very strange to me that they would send their young lineup. But at least we get to see some of these guys play. And one guy who, who impressed me a lot is Matteo Batolo, who, you know, I saw play quite a bit during the regular season in Padova. You know, I, I featured him on my podcast quite a few times. You know, I've definitely been following the story of Batolo for a little while. But I think during round one, he confirmed that he wasn't just a flash in the pan in Padova. You know, granted, his efficiency wasn't that great. You know, he, he wasn't scoring a ton of points out there. But to me, just based on the eye test, he looked pretty good. And, you know, I think he will be with the Italian senior team for quite a while. And, you know, playing on pretty legit Italian clubs, having an Italian outside hitter, very useful, as we know. Like, Filippo Lanza wasn't that great, but he still had such a career in Italy due to just being an Italian outside hitter that could play decent volleyball. So I think the future is bright for Batolo. He's still really young. The serve is a work in progress. The passing is a work in progress. But for a guy who wasn't on the national team radar at all, you know, a couple years ago, he, he's done very well for himself. Our last team with no wins, but they do have one point, taking Japan to five, the Netherlands. And I had them ranked near the bottom of the standings. Guys, I know they have Namir Abdelaziz. Yes, he's one of the best volleyball players in the world. His serving, attacking, blocking, outstanding. But the rest of the team there for the Netherlands isn't there for me right now. And one thing, ironically, kind of, uh, given the positional shift for Namir, <laughs> the position they probably are struggling with the most right now is probably setting. It, it was really an issue for them over the first round. They were splitting between a couple guys, Freak Duwaihair and Yais von Solkema. Von Solkema, I watched play a lot at Eurovlay 19. I was actually a pretty good fan of him a couple years ago, but it looked a little rough for von Solkema this round. I don't think he's improved much since I saw him last, at least in terms of ball placement. Maybe his serving blocking has gotten a bit better. But they still don't really have that dynamic setter who can run tempo plays, who can, you know, make use of their fairly strong middles with Fabian Plock and Michael Parkinson. And obviously, the more you can use, the more effectively you can use Namir and, and set him in his spots, set him in his tempo, the better you're going to be. So right now, it just seems like they're, they're relying a lot on just throwing high balls to Teister Horst and Namir Abdelaziz and hoping for the best. But I think the Netherlands can be a lot more than that. And unfortunately, with the, the setter lineup they have right now, don't see that happening, even with Wessel Kiemink coming back. And this is a real issue, too, because unless there's another good young setter coming up through the ranks, they're going to miss Namir's prime, and he's going to get to be 31-32, and he's not going to want to play for the Dutch national team because there really isn't a team around him, and he's going to finish, you know, last place in VNL, or, or he's going to finish, you know, 15th place at the World Championships, so... They really need someone to develop fast because Namir is not going to be around forever. Next team up is Iran, who I talked you know, about at other points in the podcast, so I'm not going to talk too much about them. But yeah, again, uh, like I said in the other parts of the podcast, it's time for the next generation of Iranian players, minus Maruf, Ibadaporin, and I guess Musavi maybe. And I feel like in the first round, we we're already very quickly starting to see a little bit of that with some more Saber Kazemi, with some more uh, Amir Isfandir, and Mesam Salehi as well. 
So it looks like, you know, it, they're not going to ride too long on the veterans, which are not bad players, obviously. Guys like Puryo Fayazi, Amir Gafour, you know, great players. And, and they've done really well for Iran. But for me, those are not the guys that are going to get Iran to the next level. And, you know, the sooner the better they move on to this new generation. Next up, Canada. Obviously, I'm so biased when it comes to Canada, but I would say they had a pretty disappointing first week based on expectations. I think that game against the USA was very winnable. Canada with a ton of unforced errors in that one. And of course, like I discussed in the preview, the question with Canada is still with the opposite because we saw Shawan Vernon Evans have a stinker of a game against the USA, but then also, you know, at times look like a top 10 opposite in the world against Brazil. Like, it's it's unreal how how different Shawan looks at different points in time. And I can understand maybe the frustration that Perugia had with him. Just not being able to tell when he was going to be incredible and when he was um, going to be inconsistent. And then Ryan Sclater, definitely a fantastic player. But I will say he, he has a lower ceiling than Shawan Vernon Evans. I would say he's he's better overall in a lot of skills. He's, he looked great in blocking, especially. He was a great blocker this weekend. Consistent server, good attacker, pretty good at floor defense too, good reaction time. But he doesn't have this like transcendent ability to hit around the block, hit over the block that Shawan has. And he's not going to serve it at 130 kilometers anytime soon, which we saw Shawan do. And for Bulgaria, I mean... They look pretty much how I expected, but I guess my question is, what's what's the point here for Bulgaria? I mean, you have Sveden Sokolov getting the majority of the set load, doing very well, obviously. Still one of the top opposites in the game, scoring a lot of points, but 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 I'm just not sure what what they're thinking. Like, are they working towards Eurovolley 2021? Maybe, yeah. If so, that's they're doing a decent job, but it just seems weird to me that they're. They're playing VNL like almost to win it, just like relying on Sokolov to score a lot of points. But for me, they have no chance of getting to the final four. So if I were Bulgaria, I'd probably rest Sokolov a, a few matches here, and, which maybe is what they'll do. For Serbia, I mean, the biggest story for them, unfortunately, this week was, was giving up 13 aces to Wilfredo Leon. But I mean, other than that, they looked pretty good. They would definitely would have won that game if not for Leon's heroics. But unfortunately, like I said in my preview, big weaknesses at a couple positions here. And I mean, Libero was pretty brutal here for Serbia. A majority of those aces given up to Wilfredo Leon were by the Libero Nikola Pekovic, which is too bad for a team that would love to run their middles as much as possible, would love to run tempo as much as they can, to not have that consistency in the past and to a lesser extent, the setting, I thought uh, Nikola Jovic was okay, not great, but he was, he was actually pretty solid. But Pekovic, I mean, it's really too bad they don't have a stronger libero because that offense with, like, the fifth Argentinian libero would be pretty devastating. For the USA, they played pretty solidly. Of course, I have to give them props for beating Canada. TJ DeFalco, as I've mentioned in the episode played pretty well actually pretty fantastically really well but i guess the big question here is sander and matt anderson what's going on are they healthy are they unhealthy there hasn't really been much coming out of the team usa camp sander for sure has been dressed and you know 
hanging out with the team and, and potentially could come in the game. Haven't seen really any of Anderson so far. So that's definitely the biggest question for the USA until those two guys get some court time because as much as I love TJ DeFalco, as much as I love Ben Patch, the USA's medal opportunity begins and ends with Taylor Sander and Matt Anderson this year. For Germany, getting two wins was definitely, in my opinion, better than they expected, even if they did bring a pretty strong lineup. Even taking France to five sets and, and you know, you could argue they should have won that game. But to me, they didn't really answer uh, the big question coming in, which was what are they going to do with Linus Weber, who actually saw less court time, in my opinion, than I expected. We saw a lot of Simon Hirsch, who I've been critical of in the past. But to be fair, he was a lot more consistent than Linus Weber. So like a couple of the other teams here, Germany has the question of do they play their young potential guys or do they try and get a couple wins here win some cash money with simon hirsch in my opinion definitely go with the young guys i feel like germany's building towards the european championships and you know a few thousand usd is not going to make a huge difference in the scheme of things and simon hirsch is not going to be the guy winning you any euro volley medals for slovenia i mean they were in the headlines a lot if it wasn't for Leon's 13 aces, probably even more so. But yeah, of course, beating Poland 3-1. And yeah, a lot of Polish fans will say, okay, well, wasn't our starting lineup, wasn't blah, blah, blah. But I mean, going into this, everyone was saying Poland's second line is absolutely stacked full of top-tier athletes as well. So to use, uh, okay, we were playing our bench as an excuse, for me, it doesn't really cut it. So yeah, Slovenia with one of the best wins of the tournament and my thought for Slovenia is Tonchek Stern actually good have I been too harsh on him in the past have I been too harsh on him because he played in Padova at the bottom of the Italian league maybe maybe it was more of a circumstantial inefficiency than a talent inefficiency for Tonchek Stern but maybe it was just a good week for him for Poland, I mean, they have one of the most difficult jobs in volleyball dealing with the Polish media and fans. I mean, the Polish media and fans, don't get me wrong, are, are probably the best in all of volleyball, but they pay way more attention than most fan bases do. So that results in Poland having to deal with some extra uh, pressure that other teams don't have to deal with. And I think you saw that a little bit with Michal Kubiak this week. Basically saying that people are talking about Poland, talking about him in particular because he didn't play that well and he doesn't care what they think. So, I mean, Kubiak, emotional leader on this team, fantastic player, volleyball legend, not just in Poland, but in all of volleyball. I mean, he's done so much for the sport, but if he does, in fact, continue to play poorly and not, and, you know, have a decline I don't know. It could get ugly here, guys. It could be kind of like an Allen Iverson-esque decline from Michal Kubiak where he doesn't quite realize how far he's fallen. And I don't think he's there yet. Don't get me wrong. But just given the pride and the position that he's been thrust upon in the Polish national team where he's kind of like the energy focal point for the team, a lot of the players look to him for confidence. If slash when... Vitel Hainan says, okay, enough is enough. Kubiak, we need to put someone younger and, and you know, with a bit more bounce in, like Semenyuk or, or Schliefka or Bednorz or whoever it is beside Leon. 
I feel like that's going to create some tension within the Polish national team. And maybe maybe that's already starting to brew. And this is why we see the situation with Poland this week. Another team that was did pretty well here, you know, at the top of the standings, but maybe uh, in the headlines for the wrong reasons is Russia, who the biggest headline for me this week, and I'll talk about it a lot on this on this podcast, is losing to Japan 3-2. Which for me wasn't so much um, Russia playing poorly as Japan really playing well. That B team was incredible. And I'll get to them in just a sec. But my one thought for Russia is that even though you know they lost to Japan, still pretty good week. And their attack efficiency is off the charts. Russia hitting a staggering 40.6% efficiency, 52.6 kill percentage. Which, if you go around the league, go around to all the different teams, that's a lot higher than the average. 40.6 average efficiency. That's including all their out-of-system stuff, all their outside hitters, all their junk. So very impressive from Russia. Obviously, their middles, extremely efficient. But really, no one, uh, no one's playing poorly on the team. Dennis Bogdan with the lowest efficiency on the team at... 32%, but everyone else is is close to 40 or well above it. So even though Russia might not have looked as supremely dominant and confident as, you know, I predicted them putting them number one, I still think they're probably the strongest team in this competition. Met a Japanese team that was firing on all cylinders and looked really good. But other than that, uh, Russia has, has absolutely crushed it on the net. Japan, the team of the tournament so far, all over the FIVB Instagram, and, and well-deserved. I mean, 3-0 with a pretty tough pool in the first week, beating Iran, Russia, and the Netherlands. But as good as Japan is, and I've talked about them a lot this episode, the question is, what, what can we learn from this week? Because I feel like... Their bench doing well for Japan, I mean, that doesn't really help them that much in the scheme of things. It's great to have a second line, but ultimately at the Olympics, it's your starters playing. And Yuji Nishida didn't play. Uh, Ishikawa played pretty well, but, you know, not the entire weekend. Ron Takahashi, I would say, was was, was a bit of a bright spot for them. Is he ready for the Olympics? (laughs) That's another question. Um, Still probably need to wait a couple of rounds before that. But how much does Izzy Otake winning MVP and scoring 25 points. Does that help him? He's not going to play over Yuji Nishida at the Olympics. Masaki Oya looked fantastic out there, did a great job setting, but for me, he fits the exact same mold as Masahiro Sakita and probably doesn't do quite as good of a job. So great job by Japan, but I would like to see their starters, you know, play together and have consecutive victories with that starting lineup under their belt. France, you know, I don't think there's that much to talk about. We knew they were going to be one of the top teams. They're very talented, very deep. Their bench, like one of the best second lineups in the sport. I guess the only thing we can really say so far is that the chemistry looks pretty good. The team looks like they're having a good time getting along, which almost seems like at times to be France's biggest weakness is that they're such a fun group, such a jovial group, but there's a lot of egos on that team. So sometimes we've seen that clash, but... Hopefully they can use this VNL. It doesn't matter from to, to, from a winning perspective, but more so from a 
team building chemistry perspective is, is what I see is important for France. And for Brazil, great job, obviously, looking like probably the best team in the tournament so far, going 3-0, and oh, very solid against three very strong teams in Canada, Argentina, and the USA. But I wonder, is it really worth it for Brazil at this point? To, you know, because because they, they, they did play their you know Bruno Lucarelli, um, Wallace. They played their starters quite a bit, even against teams that you know maybe they could have beaten with uh, you know an Alan Souza or a Douglas Souza. But no, they, they're they're playing quite a strong lineup, and they're clearly in it to win it, win that million dollars. Maybe the federation needs it. I don't know. But certainly Brazil looking like a very strong contender for the Nations League title this year. And really, they don't have anything else to do this summer except for the Olympics. So maybe not a bad plan. Start off with just my overall thoughts quickly here on Nations League. Obviously, I just love Nations League being back, especially watching some of these teams like Japan, the USA, Brazil that we haven't seen play internationally in a long time and a lot of new players. It's been absolutely fantastic. I think the production has been great. I've been really enjoying watching all the games on VolleyballWorld.tv. And one thing I really like so far is the dual commentary. When we have that going, it's, it's absolutely fantastic to have the two commentators be able to play off each other, fill in the gaps in each other's knowledge. And so far, two commentators that I've loved to have at the VNL, Key Michael, who I've done a few podcasts with, and also Mark Lebedew, the former Australian and professional coach who just brings like this really high level of knowledge and analysis to the game that I don't think we've ever had really in volleyball commentary before. So I hope you guys have been enjoying watching as much as I have and have been able to catch a few of the games. The level of play so far has been great. The first thing I'm going to talk about today is my player of the week. And if it wasn't obvious enough already, you guys can see, uh, see who it is. Mr. 99 overall, the volleyball greatest of all time, Wilfredo Leon adding to the resume with 13 13 guys aces against Serbia. I hope you guys realize the scale of 13 aces, the achievement that is. I mean, it's incredibly impressive to average one ace per set over the course of a season. So to get, you know, 13 of them in just one match, unbelievable by definitely the best server we've ever had in volleyball, Wilfredo Leon. As we know, he served one at 134 kilometers per hour. He is an absolute weapon and you know of I, I feel like at the same time we were gonna have a game like this eventually where Leon just catches fire serving bombs at 120 plus and you know gets a little more consistent not making some of the usual mistakes that people do uh, serving that much so Wilfredo Leon well-deserved player of the week my Iceman award goes to a player that you know could have done a little more to contribute to his team's success and this week that Stephen Marr the outside hitter from Canada didn't really have the most efficient attacking week, and that's to put it lightly in, in the in the screen I'm showing you. He was 8 for 18 with five errors, so uh, not the greatest showing from Mar after, you know. I thought he had a pretty solid season there in Milano, even if he didn't start the entire time. He passed and served pretty well, but, but considering he's such a strong, big, physical guy, you know, I'd like to see him be a bit more aggressive in his attacking and, and up that efficiency a bit. Next up is my team of the week, and I'm sure if you guys watched the VNL. It's the team that everyone's talking about. The team that I, maybe maybe I had them a bit low in my preseason power ranking, and that's Japan. We went 3-0 over the weekend, beating some pretty good teams along the way in Russia and Iran. So well done to Japan, especially 
That game against Russia was crazy. Um, Japan had kind of their B team in that match. I can actually, you know, go over to the match here and show you guys. Um, Izzy Otake was great in this one. Who I'm usually not a big fan of him, but he was looking great. Um, you know, doesn't really fit the traditional Japanese mold. He's a bit taller, a bit slower, but he seems to have got the skill level uh, up to a pretty good level. So definitely no Nishida, but you know, if he keeps improving like this, uh, that's a pretty good weapon for Japan. We were introduced to a couple more players that, you know, I admittedly wasn't that familiar with. Then also a player that a lot of people are talking about on social media, Tomohiro Ogawa, who is the most impressive new player that we were introduced to this weekend. <laughs> Extremely solid the barrel, had great passing mechanics, uh, ridiculous floor defense, a lot of hustle, incredible quickness. And, you know, had a couple good reads here, including this one very impressive play that I'll show you guys where he, uh, you know, saves it going under the net, around the antenna, and actually ends up resulting in almost Japan not getting the point, but, you know, <laughs> keeping the ball alive and getting getting a good opportunity. So I was doing some research, and he had won the best libero in the Japanese V-League last year. He's born in 1996, so still decently young. And, and for me, this is a guy who should be playing pro overseas, and it might be a bit of an overreaction, but I feel like he is probably Japan's, probably their best libero right now. I, I would start him at the Olympics if it were up to me. And next, my 5-1 seam team of the week, aka the team that was a little confused out there, could have done a little better. This week, it is Iran, who I was, you know, a little disappointed by. I was first kind of cued into this maybe a little bit uh, with the team that the new coach, uh, Vladimir Lekno, uh, the longtime Russian coach, announced. And for me, it was this weird mix between a few, you know, veteran guys that were only playing in the Iran Professional League and then a few of the younger guys who's, you know, won the U21-2019 World Championship. For me, he should have gone in a more extreme direction and go completely uh, youth-filled team, except for Maruf, Musavi, Ibadapur, and maybe Gafour as well. There were a lot of players that saw the court for Iran over the past few days. I have a feeling that Olenko, like didn't really have much time with his roster, has no idea uh, you know, about his players or, or who he's going to start. Of course, we didn't have Maruf this week either, so that's a huge issue for Iran. But I mean, if this is how they look without Maruf, what, what are they going to do after he's gone? I mean, their hitters looked pretty lost out there and uh, things weren't really working for them. My game of the week is Russia versus Japan. Absolute thriller, back and forth battle. If you guys haven't seen it, I would go back check out the VOD. As I said earlier, it was a lot of Japan's B lineup, no Ishikawa, very little Ron Takahashi, no Nishida, which we haven't seen all tournament yet. So um, kind of interesting to see Japan uh, a little more depth than we thought because and we haven't seen a lot of these guys really in international competitions before. A lot of younger players, which to me um, suggests that there's like a big pool of talent in Japan right now. If this is the team they can field uh, to beat Russia as their second team, that's, that's quite quite impressive so i love this match there are also some notable missing players most of these guys we knew had injuries going in but weren't sure uh, if they had recovered or, or what the status was but we didn't see yuji nishida unfortunately it did give a chance to some other players to step up but not sure when we'll see him we do know he had an ankle injury earlier we had thought it was recovered but still waiting on that alexander tenasevich with serbia kind of could see that one coming. They have draws and Lubridge there already. And, you know, he was pretty injured for most of the season with Perugia. Maruf we saw a little bit towards the end, but still uh, mostly absent from the lineup. And we could see Iran really, really suffered without him. Jenny Grubenikov did not see it all. And watching France without Grubenikov is, is really strange. Um, they had this smaller libero Diaz who I haven't really watched play before. But for the most part, uh, actually Julian Liniel 
subbing in for libero there um, i mentioned in my preview that you know lineal might not even be with the team didn't play professionally last year but joining the team as a libero interesting to see maybe we'll see kevin tilly switch over as well it's uh, probably about time and surprisingly we saw a lot of the german veterans christian Fromm, uh, marcus bohm dennis caliberta but we didn't see uh they're probably the most important guy of that group lucas campa uh, a lot of Jan Zimmerman this week, which is fine. He did okay, but um, it's interesting that those other guys played, but not Kampa. Some other players who I thought had pretty interesting weeks, uh, Namir Abdelaziz and Svetan Sokolov, both trying as hard as they can to, to carry a squad around them that's probably a bit weaker. I liked Martina Tanisov on Bulgaria and Benny Twinstra on the Netherlands, but ultimately I don't know uh, how much those two guys can carry their teams. TJ DeFalco, the American, looked really good with Taylor Sander and Aaron Russell both missing. TJ DeFalco was there, uh, OH1, and looked really impressive. He, he has the ball skills, obviously, but he looked really controlled, composed, which is sometimes the issue with him, uh, you know, but was good in all aspects of the game. Scored a lot more than I expected him to. And overall, I would say, uh, looked better than he did in Vibo Valencia this year. Helps playing next to Michael Christensen as well, obviously. Ron Takahashi been talking about him for a while in my top prospects video and a little bit in the preview but we did actually get to see him quite a bit this weekend both uh playing throughout the match and also interestingly a couple times as a as a serving sub so uh japan really trusts his spin ability which is you know a great sign of things to come that they're trusting a guy so young as a serving sub he already has that uh, spin serve developed which obviously first of all very important for japanese players um, to you know, to put teams out of system and not let them hit against their their block with uh, only one blocker up, but also, um, you know, undersized outside hitters or, or anybody, undersized players need need that serve because they're giving up. You're giving up a lot on the block. You you just are as an undersized player. So having a good serve uh, takes away some of that sting. Get a few break points there. Shawn Vernon Evans, who I have to talk about, obviously as a Canadian, uh, had a really bad game, but looked actually pretty good in the game against Brazil. He's a he's a very uh, frustrating, enigmatic player for me because sometimes he looks like uh, Leon and Namir combined with an extra 12 inches on his vertical. And sometimes Shawan looks like that player in pickup volleyball that's, you know, trying to go for hands, but just hitting it into the back of the wall, you know, hitting it at the bottom of the tape, hitting it right into the block. So when he's playing well, it's really, really unbelievably impressive. But obviously we, we do wish that he could be consistent with that at least most of the time a couple teams that i think are going harder for the win here definitely brazil played a lot more of their starting lineup than i would expect uh probably trying to qualify for the final four uh same thing with serbia i mean they would have gone undefeated too if it wasn't for uh 13 aces from wilfredo leon uh slovenia we already knew was going to go hard for it russia france poland usa seem to be taking a little bit easier mixing and matching their lineup more but they're still so good that probably a lot of those teams could qualify anyway. So looking ahead to our next round, the toughest one for me is, is Japan, Serbia, Brazil, and France. That's a tough pool. Japan, it's a, it's do or die time. If they can do it again, go even two and one, I think would be very impressive with this group and would, for me, put them as a, still keep them a contender for the final four. USA, Poland, Russia, Australia, another tough group. USA, Poland, Russia. Whichever one of those teams goes two and one or even three and zero is really going to help their chances of getting to that final four. The probably the weakest group for me 
is Canada, Iran, Bulgaria, Italy. So for Canada, Iran, Bulgaria, me, whichever team makes it out of this group is going to be the only one that still has a shot at the final four. I mean, it's a weak pool, so you really have to prove it and beat these other teams kind of in the lower half of the standings or, or you're done. But anyway, hope you guys enjoyed this video, enjoyed this format. Looking forward to another exciting round of VNL Volleyball. And I will see you guys here with another recap after round two.